Welcome to the Faith FX Podcast. I'm Bernie Vandewall. I'm Mark Buchanan. And this is where faith and life meet. So, Mark, quick question for you. Is there something in your life, and I think everybody sort of has skeletons in their closet, but is there something in your life uh, that, that, you know, you're not, you're not ashamed of, but you, you don't sort of like people mentioning or bringing up? Well, I, I mean, I don't want to mention it or bring it up. Rats, <laughs> <laughs> he so saw through it. When I was uh, 15 or 16, I, I I broke my nose somewhere around there, and I I didn't like my nose. Uh, it's got a little bend in it. Do you notice? Anyhow, and I I uh, for a while got in the sense that if only I had a nice upturned nose. Oh right. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted an, a nice right. upturned nose. So I would watch television in the evening, and I would try to train my nose to. And so I press my nose upward while I was watching television. And this became the, the object of great scorn and, and humor among my family. And they, uh, and so- I can't see why. <laughs> yeah, no, and so, so the next birthday, I got a bunch of pig gifts. And then it got into people's heads that, that I really like pigs. So for the next, whatever, five, eight years, Anybody buy me a gift or buy me a pig gift. I, ne- I never was into pigs, but uh, I, I, I ended up with an n- enormous collection of every kind of glass pig, metal pig, wood wow. pig, plastic pig. I, I gave virtually all of that away uh, back in my 20s. So that, how about you? Okay, so I just on live podcast. Live, world, live and direct. Just um, confess that. So what about you? Well, the people who knew me when I would be in my late teens would know about this, but it's not something I like to talk about. But uh, for a while, uh, actually, while I was in radio, uh, our radio station had a mascot. It was also the mascot for the local football team. And while I never did it at games, occasionally at promotions, you know, radio station promotions, I would don this giant stinky gopher costume. Gopher. Gopher costume. A regal Who animal. Who has a mascot? People from, Sus- mascot? People from oh, Saskatchewan right. have a like, regal beast. The, a regal. the gopher. Isn't that uh, like a vermin to most people? Isn't that like a... And that may say more about most people than it says about the regal gopher. Okay, I'm but sorry. Anyway. I, 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 was... But, you know, it, yeah, but yeah, people go, hey, didn't you? And I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think about it. It was it was not only embarrassing, sometimes it was painful because little kids would come up and they'd be excited to see you. And then you get the bratty ones and the bratty ones would think that they just kicked you in the stomach. Um but but actually they kicked you someplace else and uh so it was not only painful to remember it was actually painful to to go through to live yeah, through. yeah yeah no i know. can i can feel uh, uh, even at this great distance from the experience some of the trauma oh yeah uh, it's 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 bleeding it's, it's, it's probably right on the surface yeah it's it's, it's pulsating from you interesting because our guest today uh i don't think she's embarrassed about this but she has uh, early in the program, she talks about something from her past that um, that doesn't really quite align with the work she's doing now. She's a, a well-known author. She's a pastor of a, of a church in Iowa. But uh, I think you want to listen to Lillian Daniel talk about this 
time in her past when she was doing something that doesn't normally, uh, it's not normally part of the background training for that kind of work. Right. So in just a moment, we're going to talk to Lillian Daniel about her book, Tired of Apologizing for the Church I Don't Belong to. Today on Faith Effects, we have author and pastor Lillian Daniel. Lillian's uh, written four books. We're going to particularly talk about one today, but we're going to hear about all of them. She's uh, been on New York Times. She's been on PBS. She's uh, spoken at a number of events across both uh, the U.S., where she lives, and in Canada and throughout the world. But particularly, she is a local church pastor at First Congregational Church in Dubuque. Is that how you say that, Lillian? Dubuque. It's Dubuque. Dubuque. Okay. Yes. Dubuque, Iowa. Dubuque, Iowa. Now, before we get into, uh, Bernie, have you been to Dubuque? I've not been to Dubuque, but one of my best friends is an Iowaian. Is that is it Iowaian? He's from Iowa. Iowan. Iowan. Oh, okay. He's an Iowan. See, you didn't get it. No, I didn't you, get it You either. watched it too. Yeah. Uh, it really but, is two different languages, I think, you yeah. know. <laughs> but, but Lillian, I have a question for Bernie. Bernie has a... A morbid fascination. I have an eccentric fascination. Okay, with graves. He everywhere he goes, he, he visits graves of famous people. Anybody famous buried in Dubuque, Iowa? I don't know. Is there Lillian? Is there anybody? If I if I came to Dubuque, and I yeah. wanted to haunt the, the best, grave of somebody, if you're really morbid, yeah. you should. Dubuque is right on the Mississippi River, right? And a lot of bodies get thrown in the Mississippi River. <laughs> So you could just walk up and down the river and kick around a little and, you know, see what you find. And anybody okay. whose grave you can't locate elsewhere are probably there. Sure. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, Dubuque is a very um, interesting Catholic town. It's um, the archdiocese. Right. And there, it was um, founded by all these religious orders. And so there are amazing places. And there's actually a stunningly beautiful graveyard. At the um, at the BVM monastery, where you can go up there, and they have this, you know, the nuns' graveyard, mm-hmm, where it's mm-hmm. all very simple. Yep. But it's up on this hill. You walk down this pine road, and you look out over the Mississippi. It's the most beautiful view in the city because you look to your left and you see the John Deere factory and the city mm-hmm. and all of yep. that. And you look to your right, and it's as if no human being had ever been on that river. Wow. And that to me, it's a really holy place. I love graveyards also. And that one is, awesome. is very full. It's good. I, nice. I almost can see it and feel it. So thank you. That's a very evocative. Lillian, um, I gave a, a very brief snapshot of your professional background, but you also were a bass player in an all-girl punk band. Is that correct? Not an all-girl punk rock band. Uh, I think that's part of the sexism of the world, that when you hear a woman is in a punk band, you assume it's all girls. <laughs> so you, but yeah. but was but, it a bass player in a punk band? I was. It okay, was called nice. Geek. Okay, we need to hear a bit of that story. Oh, gosh. And sorry I don't for know the sexism it, of the all-girl thing, but we do need to hear yeah, some right. of the story. Oh, no, no, so you, so it wasn't a, the Runaways. You weren't a member of the Runaways. No, no. Okay. Nope. Uh, oh, my gosh. It was a great experience. And I played bass and... Um, I ended up kind of breaking up the band because I went to divinity school. <laughs> so how many punk rock bands, you know, break up because the bass player quits and goes to seminary? Yeah. But we had a tour, a national tour 
you know, where we were like sleeping on the floor and, you know, on people's couches and stuff. And that was about as much show business as I could take those two weeks. It's not not really glamorous, eh? No. And I mean, it might have been more glamorous if we had been a better band. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever meet any like the big punk bands like the Sex Pistols or The Clash or any of that? That's a little before our time, but um, I'll tell you, we opened... We opened for two famous bands, like famous in that punk rock world mm-hmm. at the time. We got to open for Sonic Youth. Okay. Once, All right. Yeah. And we also got to open for Fugazi. Oh, okay. Very good. So that was kind of our claim to fame. And then we went on tour with a band called Seaweed that broke up uh, not long later. But D- there's another band. Did you break band. them up too? No, it okay. had nothing to do with me. It was, <laughs> you know, I'm not apologizing for that. That wasn't the church's <laughs> fault. But, uh, but no, the other band that we went on tour with that summer is still playing together. Super Chunk from North Carolina. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. 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 So you were like almost a celebrity punk band bassist. Well, like I said, we opened for these bands. I don't think anyone ever can us to these bands. <laughs> Very good. Let's talk about, again, I want to spend most of the time talking about your newest book, Tired of Apologizing for a Church I Don't Belong to. But the first introduction I had to Lillian was, oh, probably 10 years ago, if it's, um, uh, if, it, if it, the book's that old, uh, this odd and wondrous calling co-written with Mark, Martin B. Copenhaver. And that's actually where I learned about your punk band roots. But um, t- talk to us a bit about calling, this mysterious thing, or as you say, this odd and wondrous calling. What is it to be called? What do you mean by calling? Well, I mean, I do like Beekner's definition of where, you know, your gifts meet some need in the world. You know, so it's, calling is not just like what you like doing. Like, I like to watch Netflix, but I don't think that's my calling. Um so yeah, that that's that's one piece of it. But I also think that a lot of clergy struggle with the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and feel that they don't have a dramatic or clear enough call story. Particularly if you're a pastor who, you know, sort of tentatively approaches someone and says, I think I'm called to be a minister, and the authorities are going like, What? You know, right, really? Right, yeah. <laughs> um so that's why I think we wanted to sort of lift up the oddness of it that God can choose such different kinds of people and can use you as you are. You don't have to change and become this sort of pure or pious or whatever. You know, the idea in the book is that God uses us with our failings and our gifts and, and our uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And um, I'm, that's a great, I mean, we, Mark and I work at a seminary now and and we run into people all the time who have that kind of, uh, that's one of the big questions that I think they actually seek to answer in seminary is this Very question much. of calling. Yeah. In fact, when I first left the pastoral ministry, Lillian, to come here to teach a seminary, I had assumed that everybody had a sense of calling, whatever, however we understand that. And I was simply here to help them get formed for that. And then I realized, no, part of part of what they're doing is figuring out who am I? What am I called to? What is God asking of me? So I, I, I appreciate your book on that and the way you and Martin have explored the various dimensions of that. Well, thank you. Uh, that book was a great experience, but it changed my future writing because we wrote that book really with clergy as an audience. 
And then something interesting happened. We started to hear that lay people were reading the book. And the book is really a series of essays about the sort of weird moments in ministry that you experience, like shaking hands after church and things like that. But um, I started to hear that lay people were reading it. And at first they would say, well, um, we were on a search committee and someone recommended it or Mm -hmm. I bought it for my pastor. But then they would sort of confess, you know, I love my pastor and I want to understand that life better and what that is about. But later I found out that people just kind of liked the picture of church in the book. You know, it wasn't a saccharine, overly sweet, sentimental description of church, but nor was it the hideous, you know, church that is trying to rip everybody off of their money or exploitive pastors, etc. And there's so many negative portrayals of church in the world that lay people were buying it because it was one of the few places they could pick up a book and say, okay, this this is the church I go to. Hmm. You know, this describes right. it. It's not caricature. And that really convinced me that my future writing had to be for civilians, you know, nor- normal people. Not nor- normal people. people. Um, yes, normal people. Uh, we, we chatted for a minute about my hobby uh and uh you're, you're uh, more of an obsession but yeah I mean, yeah that one and uh, uh, a lot of people have told me i need to make a coffee table book uh, because i actually take pictures of these headstones and stuff uh and then maybe do a little biography on these various famous theologians or church people uh and uh i've talked to a number of publishers who all love the idea and all think it should be published by somebody else, uh, <laughs> uh, but they all uniformly love my working title, which is the underground church. Ooh, uh, yeah. So they all love I'm that. Like, oh, that's good. And, and sometimes you know, it, it you get you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but sometimes the cover will hook you. And tired of apologizing for a church I don't belong to. That's a provocative title. Yeah. So it's, well, first it's a really long title because it also has a colon. So it's like tired of apologizing for a church I don't belong to. And then it says religion without ranting, spirituality without stereotypes. So that's a pretty wordy long title. I mean, basically like that's the book. If you can get through the title, you've got the book. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pamphlet. Yeah. So, but no, what it's about is, um, so again, trying to write about the church and talk about the church at a time in history where I think particularly in North America, um, the image of the church couldn't be worse, you know? And I think we also live in an age where um, prejudice against religion has become an acceptable prejudice Mm -hmm. and one that's not really noticed by the people who are engaging in it, often because they consider themselves to be, you know, highly sensitive, not stereotyping people. But it has become sort of this acceptable prejudice to say things like religion is responsible for all the wars in human history. I can't believe you would be part of one. You know, and it's like, wow, if you talked like that about, say, Chinese people, we would have a word for that. We'd say you were a bigot, you know, right. but people feel free to sort of make these statements about religion, partly because the reputation of religion is in the toilet. And I found myself earlier in my ministry, feeling like my duty was to constantly apologize for the church and sort of beat the critics to it. So Mm. if they said, you know, religion's responsible for all the wars in human history, I would say, yeah, I'll raise you one. How about the Salem witch trials, you know? And I'm really sorry about the Spanish Inquisition and, you know, (laughs) the Crusades. and, And I sort of thought if I'm, if I, 
show how sensitive I am to all this, you know, by my sensitivity, they'll right. they'll somehow want to join this church that I was, you know, open to insulting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, I think that's not served Christianity well, because some branches of the Christian family are very vocal about describing what they think Christianity is and how great it is. And they have gotten, I think, a disproportionate amount of the airtime, and which is part of why I think the reputation of Christianity is sort of bad right now. And on the other side, more reasonable, sort of open-minded Christian people couldn't say anything positive. We just sort of fell over ourselves apologizing. Lillian, let's dive into a couple of chapters on this. Um, you have a chapter on the nuns. And if you say what that is, and then you break that out into into four specific areas, what, who are the nuns? What are the nuns? Are you talking about uh, a, a sort of... Uh, the ladies up in the you, cemetery? Yeah, the, the, yes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> not those nuns. Not those nuns. Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S. So there's been some surveys recently about the number of people who check off when they're asked what their religion is. They check off none as their option, no religion. And that that number is growing. Um, it was one in five people. Now it's it's more than that. And if you're if you're under the age of 30, it's one in three are checking that off um, in North America. So those are the nuns. And I feel that in many cases, uh, churches that are the kind of churches that I speak at, various denominations, but, you know, in this sort of moment in history, uh, they have a perception of who the nun is. The nun is the person who's angry and left the church, right? And as I got more into writing about this and thinking about why people go to church or don't go to church, I came to believe that there's four types of nuns. And my theory is obviously correct because all four types begin with the same letter. Oh, so that proves yeah, clearly. scientifically like I'm onto something. But no, I call them the the no longers, the no ways, the never have, and the not yet. So the the no longer is the person who used to be a part of a religious community and has drifted. The no way is the person who has really consciously pulled out they're not looking for a church. They don't want to hear about it. You know, something has happened, some injury, some conflict, some hurt there, but they are like, no way. But the other two groups are the never haves and not yets. And those people are often the children of the people in the first two category. So they might have parents who have left the church or who've been injured by a religion community, but their children have not been. And those people as adults are in that category of never have and not yet. And they are, I think, in many cases curious, but much of the sort of argument we make as to why coming to church is is valuable and important, it often is geared to the no longer or the no way. Like, I know that church hurt you, but here's how this other church is better. Or, you know, the Crusades were horrible, but we didn't do that. Or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, right. right? Like, or we have women ministers or whatever it is. And those internecine distinctions within Christianity are not the questions that the the never haves and the not yets are asking. Like they've got questions like, hey, when the minister is standing up there praying, who does the minister think that she's speaking to? 
And, you know, we respond as though they're disaffected with some denomination, like, oh, well, I'll tell you what we're not doing. We're not, she's not praying and thinking she's the only one with all the answers. And they're like, well, no, like, what is prayer? Yeah, so these, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's almost this moment for the church in a humble way to resume catechesis is, is sort of, here's answering basic questions about who God is, what the church is, how do we relate uh, yes yeah very good and, and in fact when i when i do uh speak to non-civilians you know when i do speak to clergy and if i do write something for clergy uh, what i'm talking a lot about now is worship as catechesis oh, okay because you can wring your hands over the fact that people have biblical literacy you can wish that they had formation in that or would attend your Bible studies, they're not going to. You get one shot in worship to do catechesis and teach and to make this meaningful. And so the pressure on worship has never been greater, but that's historically what liturgy was. It was teaching. It was catechesis. So I think we have to sort of return to that and not presume and not whine about the fact that nobody shows up on Wednesday night for whatever program we're offering. But clergy have to be equipped to speak in church as if they're addressing people who are regular attenders, but they have to also be speaking in language that those four groups of nuns can connect with and understand. And that requires a lot of teaching and and it is catechesis. I want to shift gears just a little bit. Uh, in a chapter uh, of, of the book, you critique what we might call a consumeristic or a narcissistic tendency in American religion. And you write, and I quote, eventually you'll hit Good Friday, where our Savior dies on the cross at the age of 33. That is not self-help religion. Okay, Lillian, if Christianity is not self-help religion, what kind of religion is it? I mean, I talk a lot about the root of the word religion and the idea that it's community and um, and the power of doing something in the company of other people. And so one thing that Christianity is, right, is it's an ancient religion. So it's more than just the sum of the various musings of whoever's in the room at this moment in time. Um, and particularly, it's more valuable than, say, just the person walking on the beach and seeing the sunset and thinking, that's my theology, right? right? Um, so so I think, I, I look at the life in religious community, and for me, that's Christian community. I look at that as an opportunity for depth and meaning, for joy in the theological sense rather than happiness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a fan of, of churches that promise their members that the attending church will help them with their marriages or their sobriety or, you know, I can't stand the ones that promise that you'll you'll be rich and you'll, you know, meet all your financial goals. I think that's blasphemous. Um, so, I'm not a fan of that. And I think also people are not stupid. Even if you try to say that, they're going to get to Good Friday and notice that, you know, their hero dies on the cross. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a success-oriented project. It's a meaning-oriented project. It's service. It's humbling. It's um, it's profound. If our listeners wanted to find out about, more about you, your book, uh, your ministry, where would they go? Oh, I have a website, liliandaniel.com. And although these days everybody follows Facebook pages, and obviously I have that. 
And I do writing there and on Christian Century Magazine and the books. Uh, but best thing is just to read the books. All the good stuff's in the books. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> cool. I got nothing to add. <laughs> uh, no, I, I love writing, but it's always interesting to me that people will say like, well, tell us, you know, tell us what the book's about or come speak about the book. I'm like, that's why I wrote the book. You right. know, I'm in Iowa. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're a good writer. I, I appreciate oh, you writing. You. Thank you. I enjoy it. I love being in conversation with people and my books tend to grow out of each other. So this tired of apologizing book, grew out of a book I wrote before that that was called When Spiritual But Not Religious Is mm-hmm. Not Enough. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of reaction to that book. Um, people were irritated by it. People appreciated it. Um, and I heard from a lot of people in the spiritual but not religious category. And that really prompted me to dig deeper into that category of nuns and produce this next book, which was in some ways responding to people who had read the spiritual but not religious book. Lillian, you're going to be in Calgary in May. We're broadcasting here from Calgary at an event speaking. Can you say a bit about that event and how people can get more information about it? Yeah, I'm really excited to be there. It's being sponsored by the Grace Presbyterian Church, and I'll be there on Sunday morning, but there's also Friday and Saturday events, all of which are open to the public. And I I'm talking about some of my material around the nuns or the spiritual but not religious in Canadian contexts. It's, in a sense, uh, seems to, to hit hit home even more in Canada. I Like um, last summer, I was in Vancouver, and I was with the Anglicans and um, doing a workshop out there on this. And Vancouver is a lot like, you know, the, the West Coast in the States, too, mm-hmm. where um, – it really is so much more secular than, than most of, like, say, Iowa, where I'm, I am now. And, uh, and I found that, that people are really interested in understanding why people do and don't go to church. And it's a different kind of uh, curiosity. Like, I think denominations and s- some of the generations that saw the great sort of exodus from church, there's a lot of interest as in hand-wringing and blaming and like, how do we fix it? And how do we steal from each other? And who's growing? And, you know, maybe we should get a praise band and maybe we should be a megachurch and, you know, whatever. But it's kind of like a race to the bottom. And I think there's a, a new interest now of people saying, what would it mean if these people do come into our communities and bring their questions and curiosity? And I think it's the hope for the church. I think answering the questions of the never haves and the not yets forces us to go deeper in our faith and stop, you know, uh, taking pot shots at other members of the extended Christian family and trying to claim superiority, which, you know, is not a good evangelism strategy. Because it makes you look like jerks. Awesome. Well, Lillian, thank you for joining us today. It was great to have you. I look forward to uh, hopefully meeting you at this event. Uh, and uh, that's going to be it for another edition of Faith Effects. Looking for a collection of resources to help your church or ministry succeed? Ambrose at Large is an initiative of Ambrose Seminary, committed to sharing resources and learning opportunities. Visit at large.ambrose.edu for more information.